Well, the book of Ruth is the Hebrew version of Cinderella. Ruth is a young lady who escapes a life of reproach and poverty to meet a wealthy prince, Prince Boaz, sweeps Ruth off her feet and makes her his bride. The difference, of course, between Ruth and Cinderella is that the book of Ruth is no fairy tale. No pumpkins turn to carriages. This is a real life story set amidst the hardships of daily circumstances. And the miraculous occurrences that occur in Ruth are orchestrated not by a fairy godmother, but by God, the Heavenly Father. Ruth is one of two biblical books named after a woman. The other is Esther. The book of Esther tells the story of a Hebrew woman living in a Gentile land, whereas Ruth tells the story of a Gentile woman living in the land of the Hebrews. And both stories, interestingly enough, are prophetic of the time we live in today. For 2,000 years now, the Jews have been a displaced people. Up until just recently, until the modern era, they've been scattered all around the world, displaced from their ancient homeland. They've been scattered among the Gentiles. And Esther foreshadows God's providential preservation and protection of Israel over the last two millenniums. Ruth, on the other hand, foreshadows God's plan for the Gentiles. For though Ruth is an outsider, she receives the blessings God intended for the Hebrews by marrying into an Israeli family. You know, we too have married into God's blessings for the Jews. We too have married into His promises. We have married a wealthy Hebrew prince by the name of Jesus. We have fallen in love with Jesus. He has swept us off our feet. And he has showered us with his blessings. In Christ, we too have gained an inheritance with God's people. Well, it's interesting that Ruth is the eighth book of the Hebrew canon of Scripture. Let's recount the books that we've covered so far. Genesis is the book of beginnings. Exodus speaks to us of redemption. Leviticus teaches us to worship. Numbers teaches us how to walk with God. Deuteronomy stresses the importance of obedience. Joshua is all about victory over our enemies. Judges describes what happens when we don't fully follow the Lord. And the ninth book that we'll study next, Samuel, describes the establishment of God's kingdom. Now think of these nine books as an outline of the whole of Hebrew history. Think about it. Beginnings. Redemption, worship, walk, obedience, victory, failure. Ultimately, God will establish His kingdom in Israel. But it's interesting. In between Israel's failure and the coming of God's kingdom, what will God be up to? What is He doing in the world today? God is calling out a Gentile bride for His Son, Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what the book of Ruth is about. The calling out of a Gentile bride for one of God's, God's sons, a man named Boaz. What a cool picture. This is why I believe the Holy Spirit not only inspired the contents of the books of the Bible, but He also inspired their arrangement and their preservation. Ruth is part of a section of Scripture known as the Megalah. It's a collection of five books that were read at the different Hebrew feasts. 
And the book of Ruth was always read at the Feast of Pentecost. Later, Pentecost becomes the birthday of the church. How fitting that Ruth, the calling out of a Gentile bride, would be read every time we gather together for Pentecost. In numerous ways, the story of Ruth parallels our relationship with Jesus. You're going to see that tonight. Well, the story begins. Now, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. The book of Ruth is a romance. It's a real story about real people. But it's also a deeper revelation of spiritual truth. There are some allegorical elements to this book. In fact, the Holy Spirit goes as far as to even arrange the names of the people to make a spiritual point. Check out these names. Elimelech means, my God is king. Naomi means pleasant. Bethlehem means house of bread. Judah means praise. And Ephrathra means fruitful. Now check this out. You got a man whose God is king, with a pleasant wife, living in prosperity in the house of bread. He's praising God and bearing fruit. What more could a man want? But a famine puts Elimelech's faith to the test. And rather than stay put, he decides to bail out. Rather than trust in God's promises, he takes matters into his own hands. And we're told in verse 2, they went to the country of Moab and remained there. And look at the calamity that was caused by Elimelech's lack of faith. Verse 3, then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelt there about 10 years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Malon means sickness. Chilion means wasting. Both boys may have had physical problems from birth and the complications ended up leading to early exits. Both sons died and they left behind a grieving mom and two young widows. Hey, so far the story teaches us that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Guys, I would rather be smack dab in the middle of God's will, even in the midst of a howling storm and lightning bolts. It would be safer there than in the strongest house outside the will of God. Now, typically, relationships with mother-in-laws are notoriously rocky. You've heard it said, behind every successful man, there are two people, a good wife and a surprised mother-in-law. Hopefully that's not true in your family. Once a friend, of mine and a friend of mine and I were talking about our mother-in-laws, and I mentioned to him that my mother-in-law lived in Oregon. He said, wow, I love my mother-in-law so much that if she lived that far away, I'd try to get her to move. I said, well, I've tried, but she won't go to Japan. <laughs> oh. 
I'm just kidding. I love my mother-in-law and she loves me sometimes. And we have a tight, tight relationship. So did Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah. Now their closeness becomes apparent when Naomi announces that she's going home. Verse 6. Then she arose with her daughter-in-laws that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughter-in-laws with her, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. Both daughter-in-laws were so fond of Naomi that they cried over the thought of their separation. They didn't want her to leave. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. And Naomi said, No, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you, not, would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? In other words, these girls have a much better chance, a much better opportunity for remarriage if they stay back in Moab. She says, no, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. I've read where Oprah Winfrey was originally named Orpah. But apparently the midwife confused the spelling of Orpah and it turned out to be Oprah. And that's how she got her name. I wish Oprah were more like Ruth and would stay true to her family's Christianity, the religion of her upbringing, than all of the New Age garbage in the paganism and so forth that she promotes on her show. Oprah's show is the number one rated talk show in television history. And I think it's sad that she's using her influence to take people back to Moab rather than to the God of Israel. Well, that, that's another story. Ruth is still holding on to Naomi when the old guy, gal tells her, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Notice that. Return after your sister-in-law. And her statement shows just how far Naomi has drifted from God. Imagine this. She's more concerned with Ruth's relationship with a future husband than she is Ruth's relationship with God. She's encouraging Ruth to return to her idolatrous roots. That's terrible. She should be encouraging Ruth to pursue the Lord, the true God of Israel. But Ruth pleads, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also 
if anything but death parts you and me. Here's one of the most beautiful expressions of devotion and loyalty and friendship ever penned. Ruth locks her future and her plight to Naomi and to her God. You know, these verses are often read at weddings. And I imagine they're appropriate for weddings, but it surprises people to realize that this was originally not the devotion between a husband and a wife, but the devotion between two friends, between a woman and a mother-in-law, no less. Verse 18, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them, and the women said, is this Naomi? Evidently, Naomi's time in Moab, her time away from God, had taken its toll on her spirit as well as her body. Even her appearance had changed. She had aged. She was now wrinkled and she was weathered. And her former friends apparently barely recognized her. They start squawking, you know, to, is this really Naomi? Oh my, she's gotten old. Have you ever seen somebody that was 30 years old that looked like they were 50? <laughs> Sin takes a heavy toll on you, doesn't it? I've heard it said, Nature has a lot to do with forming a person's appearance. But after age 30, each person is responsible for his or hers own face. We all wrinkle. But the way you live your life will position your wrinkles. They'll either put them in the form of a smile or a scowl. In verse 20, Naomi tells her girlfriends, do not call me Naomi or pleasant. Remember, it means pleasant. Call me Mara or bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? In retrospect, rather than be led by God, her and her husband had fled in fear. And God's actions that are born out of fear, not faith, always send us in the wrong, the wrong direction. Here is a classic example. But Naomi's back, and life is about to get better. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest, or in the month of April, more or less, that was the beginning of the barley harvest, and this detail sets up what happens next, chapter 2. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Enter Prince Charming. Hey, did you hear about the young man? He said to his sweetheart, he said, darling, I'm not really wealthy and handsome and I don't have a mansion and a, and a Mercedes and a yacht, you know, like Gerald Green. But honey, I love you. I love you, baby, with all my heart. And the girl looked at him and said, well, I love you too, sweetheart. But would you tell me more about this Gerald Green? <laughs> well, Boaz was a Gerald Green, a Hebrew heartthrob, 
a barley baron and an eligible bachelor to boot. Many a girl would have loved to have had Boaz as a beau. And what makes this situation even more intriguing is that Boaz is related to Ruth. He was the Goel or the near kinsman. And according to Hebrew culture, it was the obligation of a family member to take his brother's widowed wife and raise up a child to preserve the deceased brother's lineage. The Hebrews called it the law of the liverite marriage. Levir is the Hebrew word for brother-in-law. Deuteronomy 25, you can go back tonight and check it out, gives us all of these details. Now remember when Ruth left Moab, she must have assumed that she was forfeiting her best opportunity for marriage just to remain loyal to Naomi, but that wasn't the case. You see, it's just like God to reward a person who puts commitment before convenience and loyalty ahead of liberty and acts on devotion, not just emotion. God is prone to bless the person who forfeits a privilege to remain true to a principle. Always remember that. The meaning of the name Boaz is also interesting. It means Lord of the harvest. And guess who Boaz represents in our allegory? Jesus is our Lord of the harvest. Verse 2 tells us, So Ruth the Moabite has said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Now, the Israeli welfare system was different from ours. It was more than just passing out checks. When a field was harvested, the landowner was required to leave a little behind for the poor. But it was then the poor's responsibility to go out into the fields behind the workers and glean or gather the leftovers. And this is why Ruth goes out to glean. And notice what happens, what we're told in verse 3. And she happened, notice that, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Notice she just so happened. Of course, nothing just so happens. God is sovereign. Our Father superintends all events. You know, the rabbis had a saying, coincidence is not a kosher word. Every roll of the dice, every bounce of the football, hey, every turn of the hurricane is determined by God's providence. Proverbs 16 verse 33 puts it best. The lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. There is no such thing as happenstance. God is at work behind the scenes orchestrating situations to accomplish His purposes. And here, the Holy Spirit is playing Cupid. He's at work on Ruth's behalf. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Wow! Who's the girl? Hey, when Boaz comes home, guess who catches his eye? He rushes to the foreman in charge of the gleaners and he asks about the new girl. Who's the beautiful babe, man? Obviously, God is not just working in Ruth's heart. 
God is working on the other side of the equation in Boaz here too. And so the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little while in the house. In other words, Boaz, she's not only good looking, she's hard working. What a combination, good looking and hard working. I married a woman just like that. Ruth was gorgeous even in work clothes. Then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. I want you in my field, young lady. Boaz instructs Ruth to glean only in his field. And of course, this was not only because Boaz loved her and was looking for maybe an opportunity to get to know her better, but this was for Ruth's protection as well. Boaz knew that some of those other landowners, they were not just landowners, they were playboys, and they would try to harvest Ruth. Stay in my field. Verse 9. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And Boaz had been very clear with all his workers. This girl was off limits. For Boaz, it must have been love at first sight. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Boaz offers Ruth both protection and some provision also. And so she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. You know, this loyal, you know, the word gets around. And he commends her for her loyalty. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord. For you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, and he even invites Ruth up to the hacienda for dinner. She is getting some special treatment here. This is no ordinary gleaner girl. Boaz offers her, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied and kept back some. Her stash was for Naomi. She's going to take some back to her, her mother, mother-in-law. Verse 15. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz, this is wonderful. You, you just, just listen. This is wonderful. Boaz commanded his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. In other words, even if Ruth starts to glean what hasn't yet been harvested, guys, don't stop her. Just let her. 
In fact, what I want you to do is kind of get out in front of her and toss out a few bundles of grain on purpose just to make it easier for Ruth. In other words, show her some grace. Give her more than she can earn. That's how we're going to treat her. And all this and more is how our Boaz, our Lord Jesus, chooses to treat us. We caught his eye long before we decided to follow him. He chose us before the foundation of the world. And he wants us to glean only from his fields. Jesus wants to be the sole source and sustenance of our needs. He is all that we need. He wants to satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. Jesus offers you and I protection, a place at his table. He even delights in tossing out little bundles of blessing for you to glean, little bundles of purpose and blessing in the course of your day just to make it easier for you. He delights in doing that kind of thing. Grace governs how he treats us. Isn't that great? Give her more than she can earn. That's what Jesus is saying tonight. Hey, just give those people down at Calvary Chapel, just give them more than they can earn, more than they deserve because I love them. That's how Jesus treats you. Verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephath of barley. An ephath, that was close to a bushel. Then she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. Boy, had she. And so she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Girl, you hit the jackpot. (laughs) Blessed be the one who took notice of you. Naomi sees immediately that Ruth has caught somebody's eye. She is the beneficiary of somebody's special interest. Hers was not the typical gleanings. Verse 19, so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And I can picture Naomi in my mind kind of like Fred Sanford when he used to get one of those heart attacks. She almost flirts with a coronary man, I'm telling you. Boaz! Naomi jumps for joy. This is her relative. And the wheels start turning. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. And the mother-in-law's mind goes to work. Naomi's hearing wedding bells in her head. She too knows the law of the liverite marriage. But Boaz is the Lord of the harvest. And the barley still needs to get harvested. And Naomi knows that the nuptials can't begin until the barley harvest is complete. And so she tells Ruth to chill. That's interesting. We too are in the middle of a harvest, are we not? A harvest of souls. And Jesus is the Lord of the harvest, of our harvest. And at the moment, there's work to do. But one day, 
when the barley's in the barn, when all the brothers and sisters and the family of God and the church is complete, Jesus will come for his bride and the wedding will begin. In the meantime, though, we need to be patient and we need to help the Lord complete the harvest. Verse 21. Now Ruth the Moabite has said, He also said to me, You shall stay close to my young women, my young men, until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Now in chapter 3, Ruth and Naomi get tired of the barley, and they want the Boaz. (laughs) Naomi, the wise mother-in-law, knows that the time has come for Ruth to make a bold move. By the way, have you seen the commercials that promote bold moves for women? The one young lady, she's in her car and she's pulling up to the laundromat. She sees the good-looking guy in the car behind her and so she says, I want to pay for a couple of his shirts too. Give him my phone number. A bold move. Then there's another commercial with a a mother and her daughter. They're mustering up courage to jump off a waterfall, make a bold move. Well, the idea that women should make bold moves, that's that's an old idea. As a matter of fact, this is exactly what Naomi suggests to Ruth, that she make a bold move. It's the end of the harvest. And she knows where Boaz will be. He has only a short time to process the grain, and so he'll be sleeping down at the threshing floor, verse 1 tells us. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you are with, is he not our relative, our kinsman redeemer? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. I don't know, maybe she'd sent out spies, I'm not sure. But she probably just knew that's where the Lord of the harvest usually was during harvest time at the threshing floor. The threshing floor was a large outdoor pavilion where the oxen would move around in circles and beat down the grain and process the wheat. And the men would sleep at the threshing floor during the harvest to protect the crop from thieves and from wild animals. Well, Naomi tells Ruth, Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment. You see, the mother-in-law's got a big plan here. And go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Get him dinner. Get him home. Get him something to eat. Get him something to drink. You know, pamper him a little bit. Then hit him up for the new credit card. No, I'm just kidding. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. Now it's time to apply some feminine wiles. God's plan and a little female charm are about to link arms. And here's Naomi's plan. Ruth needs to doll herself up. Take a bubble bath. Dab on some Chanel number five. 
put on a designer dress and then slip down to the threshing floor. And after Boaz eats his dinner and settles down for the night, Ruth needs to slip in quietly, uncover his toes, and lie at his feet until he awakes. You see, exposing his toes in the middle of the night will ensure that the cold air will come in and it'll wake him up. Cold toes wake you up. And then he'll notice Ruth. You know, I like this strategy. Because it's also how we can abide and rest in Jesus Christ. Same strategy works for us. First, make sure you're washed. If you've never been washed with the blood of Jesus Christ, that's the first step. And not only do you need to be washed with the blood of Jesus, as we talked about this morning, you need to wash your mind with the rinsing and cleansing of the Word of God. Wash your mind and thoughts with God's Word. And then make sure you're anointed. Dab on a little of the oil of the Holy Spirit. Rely on the Spirit. Trust in the Spirit. Ask Him to fill you and overflow you with God's presence and God's power. Then make sure you're dressed for success. Put on Christ. Start to form a new identity. Learn to see yourself as God sees you, as holy, as righteous, as blameless, as a joint heir with Jesus, as a child of God. Realize you're a new creation in Christ. And then fourthly, make sure you just lie down at Jesus' feet. Rest at His feet. Humble yourself before the Master. Spend time in His presence. And then do whatever He tells you to do. Verse 5. And Ruth said to her, all that you said to me sounds good to me. I'll do it. And so she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled, cold toes did the trick. And turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. Now this is a bold move for a woman at this time in this culture, no doubt about it. Ruth proves that she's a liberated woman. She follows Naomi's instructions exactly. The cold toes work. Surprise, surprise, Boaz wakes up, and there's Ruth lying at his feet. And she asks him, or he asks her in verse 9, Who are you? Probably a little dark. He couldn't tell. So she answered, I'm Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. And this phrase, take your maidservant under your wing, or more figuratively, under the corner of your cloak or under your garment, was the equivalent in ancient times of a marriage proposal. This is a bold move. Ruth is popping the question to Boaz. (laughs) Verse 10, Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. 
Why is it that some girls think they have to compromise their morals and lower their standards just to get a guy? Girls, what a lack of faith. A woman of faith won't be a flirt. Ladies, God has a Boaz for you. He's got a Matthew McConaughey or a Denzel Washington picked out just for you. And he's a Christian no less. But you've got to trust the Lord. And you need to be a virtuous woman. Don't forget, a virtuous man isn't out looking for a floozy. He wants to marry a woman with a good reputation. A virtuous man wants a virtuous woman. A woman that he knows is good and godly. And Ruth had gained that kind of reputation. And it's one of the reasons that Boaz was attracted to her. Ladies, I hope you have more faith than a lot of other women these days. Don't lower your standards. Don't drop your morals. Trust God to bring you your Boaz. Boaz responds to Ruth in verse 12. Now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there's a catch. There is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. Boaz's answer is, yes, if. Yes, but. As I often say, no wedding ever goes off without a hitch. That's kind of a joke. No wedding ever goes off without a hitch. Anyway. Boaz is going to be happy to marry Ruth. This would be a great thing for him. But there's one problem. Though Boaz is a near kinsman, he is not the nearest kinsman. There's a closer kin with first dibs at redeeming Elimelech's land and marrying his daughter-in-law. Now here's proof that Boaz was a principled man. Remember, this story takes place in the days of the judges. At a time when everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You remember that from our study in Judges. Everyone that is except Boaz and except Ruth. Notice in an age of compromise, it is so refreshing to find two people who are willing to do things God's way by the book. Hey, this was risky. No doubt about it. This required faith. Bo and Ruthie were in love. Marriage is the goal here. What if this near kinsman exercises his right? Boaz will be busted. But Boaz, you see, believed in doing things right. He believed in God and trusting God. He knows that God is in control. And if God wants he and Ruth to marry, he knows that God can pull it off. God will see to it. Boaz knows that the worst move he can make is to take a shortcut. Guys, when we take matters into our own hands, when we try to manipulate the situation, we mess it up. Always. Remember, God's will done God's way will always have God's blessing. Do you believe that truth? I hope you do. Do you really believe that what's done God's way will have God's blessing? 
When will we learn that our shortcuts usually end up in long detours? Guys, the shortest distance between two points is always the will of God. You remember the last five chapters of Judges. Nasty, ruthless, barbaric acts occurred in Israel. And yet in contrast here, two people. They choose to live life. They choose to conduct marriage God's way. God blesses them as God will bless anyone who follows their example. Here is a good formula for life. You want to write this down. Trust God and do the right thing. That's a good formula for life. Trust God and do the right thing. Hey, always remember that if Boaz had not been a man of principle, if he had not been a man of conviction, he would have ended up like the rest of the nation Israel at this time, ruthless. <laughs> ruthless. I've been waiting to use that one. And notice too the honorable precaution that he takes in verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning and she arose before one could recognize another. Still dark. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Notice, Boaz does all that he can to save, to save Ruth's reputation from the rumor mill. He didn't want to give the town gossips anything to chew on. And ladies... Take note of this, for a guy who really loves you will do all that he can to protect your reputation, not put it in jeopardy. Remember that. Well, at the end of chapter 3, Boaz makes another smart move. Every soon-to-be husband, son-in-law, needs to follow his example. Notice verse 15, and he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. And then she went into the city. Ruth takes home to Naomi six bushels of barley. That's an enormous amount. And I hope you see what Boaz is up to. He's getting in good with mom. He's making some points with the mother-in-law. Not a bad idea. Guys, you could take a cue or two from Boaz. And so when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. It's for you, Mom. Boaz has won the girl. But notice, he seals the deal by winning over her family. It's an important point for you young ladies. I'm not suggesting that you marry a schmoozer. But do make sure you marry someone who respects your family. That is very, very important. Well, in the last verse of chapter 3, Naomi gives Ruth a near impossible command. It, it might just be impossible. Listen. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how this matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Ruth's future, the love of her life is on the line. She's in limbo and she's expected to sit still? Hey, here's the acid test of faith. After we've done all that we can do, are we then willing to sit back and trust the Lord and sit still before the Lord and wait on the Lord to do His work? 
In Psalm 46, verse 10, the Lord himself tells us, Be still and know that I am God. We too need to learn to wait on the Lord. Well, chapter 4. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, hey, come aside, friend. Sit down over here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down, pulling in his witnesses. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech, and I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I'll redeem it. And with those words, I'm sure Boaz's heart must have skipped a beat. But here's the kicker. The guy still doesn't know about Ruth. And so Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. In other words, Elimelech's ground and the girl go together. The property and the princess were a package deal. Here's a point. Always read the fine print on the contract. When he realizes the whole deal, suddenly this guy backs down, verse 6. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I ruin my own inheritance. That's another way of saying, what will my wife think? (laughs) Imagine this guy walking into the house that night and announcing, Honey, guess who I brought home for dinner tonight? Sweetheart, I finally got you some help for the housework. You remember just the other day you said it takes two people to do your job? Well, (laughs) I mean, how do you break it to your wife that she's now got company? This would ruin your inheritance. Trust me. He tells Boaz, you redeem my right of redemption for yourself or I cannot redeem it. And that was exactly what Boaz was hoping to hear. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. This was an ancient way of signing the contract, of saying that he was passing on to Boaz his right to walk the land. That's why he gave him the sandal, because you're going to be walking the land and therefore you're going to be marrying the lady. Therefore the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And so he took off his sandal, passing on the sandal, signed the contract, did the deal, made it official. Now, I want you to think for a moment, because this story really strikes a lot closer to home than you might first think. This wicked world, this land that we tread, that we walk, once belonged to God, did it not? When the Creator made man, He gave us dominion over the earth. But man sinned, and he forfeited that dominion and control over to Satan. In John 16, verse 7, Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world. 
But according to God's law, when a parcel is lost, there is always the possibility of redemption. It can be bought back or redeemed. What Boaz did for Elimelech, Jesus has done for the human family. You see, the book of Ruth stresses a vital point. Redemption had to be purchased by a blood relative, a near kinsman. This is why Ruth and Christmas go together. For Jesus was born in Bethlehem, where Ruth lived, to a maid named Mary. And in doing so, Jesus joined the human race. Why? To be our near kinsman. As our relative, it positioned Jesus to redeem a world that had been lost to sin and to Satan. On the cross, Jesus paid the redemption price. Question, though, is why did he do it? Hey, Jesus is not only a citizen of earth, he is the Lord of the universe. (laughs) He owns billions and billions of planets just like our own. I'm sure the last thing Jesus had to gain by going to the cross was just another planet. If that had been the case, he would have spared himself the trouble. But Jesus, like Boaz, was not as interested in the parcel of land as he was the lady. For remember, the ground and the girl go together. The land and the lady are a package deal. Jesus redeemed the earth because he wanted to marry the bride. And who is the bride? You are. I am. We are the bride of Christ. And Jesus purchased back this earth, not so he could have another planet, but so that he could have you, that he could have me, so that we could be his bride. Jesus is our Boaz. We are his Ruth, his Gentile bride. What a marvelous picture. Ruth is all about the romance of redemption. Well, verse 9, And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilean's and Malan's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malan, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah. They were the mothers of Israel, the mothers of the twelve tribes. May the Lord make Ruth as prosperous as these ladies of old, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah, and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. The tribe of Judah, by the way, was the preeminent tribe in Israel. In fact, the name Jews comes from Judah. And remember, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, came from the lineage of Judah. Well, the remainder of chapter 4 explains another reason why the book of Ruth was so significant to the Hebrews. Because it cast a light on the origins of the most important family in Hebrew history. In fact, the most strategic family in the history of the earth. And we're not talking about the Windsors of Great Britain, or the Bushes of Texas, or the Kennedys of Massachusetts or the Bowdens of Tallahassee, or the Waltons of Walton Mountain. 
We're talking about the family of King David of Jerusalem. Later, God is going to promise David and his sons the throne of Israel. And God is going to promise David that upon the throne of Israel, David will always have a son who will sit on that throne. And his son will reign over God's kingdom for all eternity. David will have an heir that will reign over all the earth who will be an eternal king over an eternal kingdom. Now, Boaz and Ruth have a baby boy they name Obed. This Obed has a son he names Jesse. And Jesse has a son who he names David. And years later, several branches down the family tree, a son of David is born whose name is Jesus, who fulfills every one of God's promises. But I'm ahead of the story. Verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. You know, grandkids sometimes will keep you young. They'll they'll put a spark back in your life, some wind back in your sails. That's what happened to Naomi. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. When Naomi got back into God's will, God chose to bless her abundantly. Hey, you remember when Naomi said, what Naomi said to the ladies of Bethlehem when she first returned home from Moab, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara or bitter, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. But at the end of the story, old bitter has become blessed. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, This is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And in keeping with the allegorical aspects of the book, here's one more pertinent point. The Hebrew word Obed means serving. And it's no accident that the marriage between Boaz and Ruth produces a child named Serving. For isn't that exactly what happens when you and I embrace our Boaz, Jesus Christ? Jesus births within us a desire to serve God by serving others. Well, verse 18 wraps it up. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nation. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. If you're a single sister tonight, may the Lord bless you with your Boaz, a holy hunk, a Matthew, a Denzel, who loves the Lord and will love you. And if you're a single brother, May the Lord send you a virtuous woman, a woman like Ruth. And if you're married, 
May the Lord bless you with loyal daughters and faithful daughter-in-laws like Ruth and principled sons and son-in-laws like Boaz who put commitment before convenience. And if you're a person who just feels lost tonight, you feel out of place everywhere you go, you feel like a stranger even in your own home, then there is a Boaz who has his eye on you, who loves you, who purposely tosses out little bundles of blessing in front of you. In fact, he's already paid your redemption price and he wants to take you as his bride. His name is Jesus. Lie down at his feet and do what he tells you to do.